Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.5 FM in Tabazimbi. We continue the conversation here this morning. Earlier this week, you may have seen the scenes that played out outside the Woodbank Technical High School in Imalakini. And we saw, of course, black and white parents fighting each other, effectively coming to blows. It's over allegations of racism at the school. Now, the clash by parents and community members outside the school were demanding that the school be closed due to claims of racism and discrimination. It's believed that the protest was sparked by a fight between a white and a black pupil and how the school responded uh, to the fight between these pupils. Let's listen to what some of the parents involved had to say. My name is Pascaline Mobile Mazibogo, known as Bullet Kalashinikov Mkabai from here in Redbank. Uh, we are representing these kids. See, these ones are the victims of the, of the system and of what is going, uh, of what is happening here on daily basis. Now, this emanates from since last year when there was a school representative council that they elected. They raised issues, they protested. We came in, we, we spoke to the Department of Education in the region and the district, the, and the province, I mean to say. Since then, there was no report. The only report that you got, it was a preliminary report, but there was no final report. So, on daily basis, these kids that you see here today, they are subjected into racism. They are isolated. They are being discriminated. They are called kafirs. Uh, the, the camera works as in when a black child might be at fault. And these children, they act, they act in, in, in self-defense always. That is why on Thursday they were able to convince themselves without parents in front of white parents, white learners, white teachers, getting up against these black children here. But they then said, because we know that there are people out there that are going to assist us, we are going to seek assistance, we then began to mobilize uh, other black parents. We were not fighting. What we want here, want to say a clear signal and indication that this school belongs to the people of South Africa. This school belongs to everyone. I came to the school today because I want to support uh, the people, the parents, to make sure that all the kids, black and white, get into the school safely to write their exams, to make sure that nothing is being vandalized or burned down. And uh, that's what we tried to, or we intended to do. So that's why we blocked the gate and helped the police. I came here as a parent of a child, not even in the school. I came here just to make sure that our kids, I mean, we are all fellow members of the society. And our children have to be safe at school. And that's the only reason we don't want political parties and uh, parents to meet in with the people who is busy writing exams. And that's the most important thing. We need education for our children, black or white, doesn't matter. Well, let's continue the conversation with Roy Gluckman, who is the founder and MD of Cohesion Collective. Roy, good morning to you and thanks for your time today. 
Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about some of the violence that we see in our schools, in particular along racial lines. Uh, you know, in this example, Woodbank High School or Technical High School has been closed for the week to at least give the officials and the provincial department an opportunity to meet and try and work their way um, through through the issues that, that have been raised. But it seems that Oftentimes, these situations allow to escalate to a point that they shouldn't really be allowed to get to. Yeah, I mean, I, I always get so disappointed that I'm constantly asked to talk on, on, on racial violence, right? Mm. This is often the only time we have conversations about race in this country is when, unfortunately, it gets to this point where we should be constantly talking about race and, and tension. But yes, I mean, look, I, I think... I think our schools have become this playground almost, a place to play out a lot of the anxieties, the angers and fears that exist within the South African social space. Because mm. um, of how sensitive it often is, right? We're dealing with people's children, we're dealing with this idea of a future. So it often seems like this place where we play out the underlying tensions. You heard in that comment about, you know, we don't want political parties in here as if our schools aren't political by nature anyway. But yeah, they just, unfortunately, there'd be spaces where a lot of the racial tensions play out, where we feel justified almost to make a stand for something. Mm. Is it because the ways in which schools are being run, perhaps, is mm. simply not changing? And um, you, you'll constantly hear parents who are saying, you know, we don't want our children to have the same experiences that yeah. we have had. Yeah. Well, I, I think within the, the South African private school space, um, we're seeing that, particularly with black parents and black learners. We see Cornwall recently as well. Where, where yes, it's kind of like we need to be looking at our schools more critically. And, and I think the things, much like our organizations and corporates within South Africa, that we think that they're neutral spaces, that they are a-racial, a-political, a-gendered, a-cultural, a, but they're not. They're deeply gendered. They're deeply racialized. They're deeply cultured. Um, so we like to think that these spaces don't have these feelings right when we when we talk about like a persona mm-hmm. um so we think that we don't have to have this discussion that education is neutral and that if you work hard that's how far you'll go in xyz bank but it's not our organizations our schools included are our political spaces and and the racism sexism homophobia transphobia xenophobia ableism that exists in our society comes into our organization it's our schools whether we like it or not so I think particularly from black parents and, and, and black learners who are waking up and saying, we need a shift, is a raise in the consciousness of, of the conversations we need to be having in school. And I think we know that. I just think we grapple with how to do it in a way that doesn't resort to violence or mm-hmm. that doesn't create more harm and pain. So, so I think what happens when we see these flare-ups is, because we're not looking at the things that are there because it's scary. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that it, it comes out of the fact that, um, you know, schools, and you look at the, the incident that took place uh, at Red Hill not so long ago where students were told not to have conversations about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict because yeah, yeah. Um, that's a conversation that is barred from the premises. And yeah. it's that... 
you know, there's the the illusion, as you're saying, of schools being neutral spaces, but in not acknowledging that they are a true reflection of our society, it's a missed opportunity, not just to have the conversations that we need to have, but also to ensure that the systems that are in place are reflective of the country that we live in. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it, it, it's, it's two things, right? I think firstly, it's acknowledging that, our, that these spaces are not neutral spaces um, and that if we really want to be thinking about social cohesion as a strategy for South Africa, then all these conversations that we think divide us, and remember that's the big narrative as to why we shouldn't talk about things. Oh, it's divisive, you're opening a can of worms. No, stay there, we are divided. So let's just have the conversation. So it's first the awareness that we need to be having it. And then, of course, the second thing that I think is a big barrier is that um, I'm not 100% sure that teachers or school executives are often equipped to have these conversations because they are scary and they are volatile and they can go south and they can be divisive which is why I think workaround facilitation within the school space is critical. Mm, mm, mm. You know, I, I remember my my history teacher um, who at, 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 at some points during the history lesson would be very mm. intentional about making sure that the door is closed, shut, um, yeah. because she said, look, I have to give you an honest account of this country's history. But she was so aware of not wanting to be heard by some of her colleagues, perhaps, who would be walking (laughs) up and down the corridors. And, Mm. and, and, And it comes back to the fact that teachers themselves are part of our society. They have their own ideology and political stance on on issues and have opinions about issues that that are taking place and perhaps uh, sometimes are not able to to divorce themselves of of, of, of their worldviews. And and I I always like to extend a deeper compassion and not only that they come with their own ideology and worldviews, teachers come with their own fears and angers. Mm. You know, it's so human. We're human beings, <laughs> even teachers and school executives. Like, we have fears and angers, and we also have children, and we also have frustrations. And everyone asks us to leave our cuck at the door at the entrance of the school, and we can't. We bring it in, right? We're mm. human beings. So it's like, how do we just start looking more critically at these spaces as amazing opportunities for us to be challenging constructions and structures within our spaces, but also having the compassion that we're dealing with human beings and there's certain behaviors that we need to be shifting, but behavior change is super difficult. So I just think we need to be way more intentional about these conversations because we are going to see this happen more often. Mm. I mean, it's already since last year. How many stories have you guys reported on in terms of schools? Too, too many, too exactly, many, but, yeah. But it, I mean, for me, it's just like there's an intentionality. We need to look at this. We need to do this. Yes, it is scary. Yes, we don't even know how to do this. Yes, we don't even know where we're going. But gosh, we need to be having these conversations. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I obviously hate descending into violence, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's something I never really condone. But again, it's not for us to be so frightened. Like, no, guys, racism exists in this country. So does sexism, homophobia, it's all there. Let's just look at it. What What are the tools that schools mm. and school administrators and teachers need to have in order to start having this conversation in a meaningful yeah. way? Um, because, again, often what we see is that 
um, when complaints are, are raised of racism, <clears throat> the, the response by a lot of schools is to either claim that it is not what it is said yeah. to be, um, yeah. and, you know, basically whitewash everything um, yeah. and, and get it over and done with as, as soon as possible. So you yeah. don't have an you don't have actual conversations that deal with the crux of the issues that, yeah. that are raised. So if we take a look at at, at Whitback Technical High School in Emalakini, yeah. when you hear the conversations from parents, they believe that part of how this conflict between the pupils themselves started in the first place is due to racial tensions. When yeah. you look at how the school has responded to it, for them, it's just pupils that have been fighting and, you know, yeah. there must be disciplinary action and that's the end of the story. We move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so some tools. All right. Um, hmm. I think the first thing is like I've been going on in this, in this what maybe seems like an emotional rant from my side is, is, is the awareness that this exists. So it's not just about, oh, some kids not getting along. Like, we have racial tension in South Africa. It exists even for Gen Zs and mm. younger. Why? Because we exist in families, in communities, in churches, in synagogues that still have an ideology, uh, ideology based on our history. So Gen Z, I don't care how old you are, you, we all grow, have grown up in a racist, sexist, homophobic world, right? So that exists. Cool. Number one. I think the second one, and I think this is an interesting one, right? Because it's about school pride. And that is, we need to, particularly private schools, need to understand that change is not this big threat to one's ethos. You know, I think mm. we always talk about our ethos, our ethos, our traditions. But ethos and traditions are there to evolve. So I think a lot of schools are so frightened to kind of look at these things because it means we're going to dilute or we're going to lose our values. And this is a misconception. This is fear. That's a fear response. Mm. That is saying we don't want to change. And, and, and because we think it's like a new, that our ethos is neutral, right? Because remember, we think our traditions are neutral. They're not as well. Mm. They're deeply racialized, gendered, and religious. But so we're so scared to let that go. But I think if we can maybe start building a bit of emotional resilience, that thinking about change, thinking about real transformation, thinking about culture and ethos change and shifting our traditions is healthy, is part of what we're doing, is part of growth, right? So mm. we have to kind of counsel executives and school teachers through that. And then, of course, there's the, 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 ed, the social education piece for both learners and teachers. And I think that is critical. Mm, mm. How are we discussing how to have these conversations in class? And it's not only the history class, hey? Not only the English class that these conversations are happening. Mm. It's even the math and science class, we're having issues of race and gender come up in there. So how do we capacitate all of our learners and all of our teachers and admin staff to have better conversations and how to hold the space. We're have, sure. We're having a conversation with Roy Kleckman. He's the founder and MD of Cohesion Collective. I'm really keen to hear from you as parents. How do you raise matters, uh, especially that are along racist lines within within schools? And I think what Roy has raised is, is an important one, that in the same way that we have racism, we have sexist, sexist attitudes in schools, we have... Uh, negative narratives around even uh, minority groups such as the LGBTIQ communities. So there are many ways in which discrimination 
in our schools is being perpetuated. How are you as parents raising these issues and the extent to which you feel that you are actually heard and, and supported by schools when you do this? Or are you rejected by schools? Uh, the number to use this morning is 011-714-2006. Brian in Cape Town, let me kick it off with you. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Cathy. Uh, I just want to comment on your, this issue. Mm-hmm. Look, I once again, I, I, you know, I believe that the failure to solve social issues is rooted in the failure to acknowledge the causes of the problems. You see, mm. uh, the capitalist system embodies a Pandora's box of social issues like racism, like crime like the looting of the root by the ruling party and their cronies, the crisis in education, mm. crisis in the healthcare, that is the Pandora's box of all the social issues. Now, coming back, you know, racism has been around since time immemorial. It's been there be- even before. I'm not belittling or minimizing the seriousness of the race issue, but... Um, it's been there even before 1840 with the Industrial Revolution. So we constantly address the symptoms, but we don't address the diseases. We don't want to eradicate the disease. Mm. So we constantly, well, tomorrow we'll discuss the crisis in education or in the health sector. The following day we'll discuss the crisis in education, in the looting of the SOEs, etc., ESCOM, and it goes on and on. The capitalist system will never, ever uh, deliver. It will only deliver misery. So we're going to continue with this discussion, but I want to mention that, uh, emphasize that racism has been around for centuries. We have to deal with the disease, not the symptoms. So uh, that is my point. And uh, in, in conclusion, I want to mention this uh, comment by Sir Ramaphosa is disingenuous. Mm. Putting up your hand is a joke. He's taking people <laughs> for fools. You mm. Know? Mm. All right. Okay, Brian. Thanks okay, for that call. Thank you. Thanks for thank that you. call, Brian, out in Cape Town. It's happened now, Sprite. Good morning to you, Tsepo. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Go for it. Thank you. Uh, I think the issue of racism in our country really uh, comes more back to us uh, black people, uh, because I think the policies and laws that we have passed in the past 20 years really have been, uh, if, if the concept is not lenient, there just hasn't been any laws that have been properly and effectively fighting racism. Uh, and what I have seen, you know, according to my personal opinion, is that um, white people have a, uh, sorry, when I say white people, I understand that it's racial. And we'll be corrected later. But white people, there's a particular group that focuses specifically on defending themselves. And the reason I say this is because sometimes you have white people, that white farmers, for instance, that kill a black person. And then Afri Forum will go and defend those farmers in court, you know, and try and get minimum sentences and whatever, whatever. As black people, we don't seem to, to have such a structure or system. Every time something happens that has to do with racism, mm. we have to apologize instead of fighting for our own. And I think the biggest problem is that we... To a degree, I don't know if we are afraid to either confront racism, to, co- to confront racists in South Africa, whether it's because they have all the money and whatnot, I have no idea. But to a, I are afraid of them. Yes, That's but, but, but Sapo, how do we constructively have this conversation within the context and, and the setting of, 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 of our schools? Uh, to the beginning, uh, my sister, I'm so 
the concept should be this. But uh, we should have already uh, promoted or promulgated laws and policies uh, that, that, that strictly or effectively deal with racism. So, for instance, the, the issue of the use of the K-word uh, and whatnot. If you look at what, what the penalty is for it, you cannot say that, that's a, that, is, that is a penalty that can deter someone mm. from, from saying the word. So, for us, we are not doing anything in accordance with the law. Tapo, I'm I'm losing you on the line. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to leave it there. Um, Roy, Tapo says mm. something interesting that you know, if we're not outlawing even words like the K word, then we're not effectively dealing with racism. I want to take it a step further, though, because just because somebody is banned from saying a certain derogatory word, it doesn't change their behavior and attitude towards you. Because racism, the way that people experience racism is not just limited to the things that they say or what they call you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm very cynical when it comes to outlawing things just because I'm, I, I, yeah, you know, laws and policies that are very, very important. Um, they, they, they can only take us so far, right? Then there's the, that behavior change because telling somebody, forcing somebody to do something, as we've even seen with the Trump administration, doesn't shift behavior, it emboldens behavior. Oh, okay, so you don't want me to do this. You know, it's like that kind of obstinate attitude that we've adopted as a global society. So I think laws are important, so are policies. But it's not going to be enough to shift behavior change. It isn't, right? Um, so it really is something that we, we, we have to look at um, more nuanced, in a way more nuanced fashion. And I think the idea of, like, dealing with racism is really us kind of just looking at it and saying, yeah, this does exist. Mm. And, you know, we're not bad people. We're not these terrible, evil people because we're racist, sexist, and homophobic. We're all these things because we grow up in this world that is racist, sexist, and homophobic. So... How do we look at that and hold that lightly in compassion and say, okay, we need to look at this, we need to deal with this. But there's so much shame and there's so much fear around having this conversation that we don't even want to look at it. Mm. We don't even want to look at it. Somebody on social media says, hi, Kathy, the racial problem uh, will not go away if we don't address it accordingly. Fishhook yeah. High School caretaker called black kids at the school baboons. Now, a school management uh, swept the matter under the carpet. The caretaker mm. is still there working for the school. Uh, yeah. It's just another example uh, in terms of what we're talking about, that schools don't actually seem to deal with these things um, meaningfully, that oftentimes they just want to move on. You know, they, they want to act like it, it didn't happen. Uh, Joe in Durban, good morning to you. Good morning, Kate, and good morning to your listeners. Yes. Yes, you know, this issue of uh, racism, I believe there's a perpetrator and a victim. You know, the, the victim is always the black man. But the problem is the black man himself. You know, if we don't start in the society for us to believe in ourselves, to know that we, we've got a place in this world, then we cannot correct this issue. Whatever we do in the schools, we are just uh, wasting time. You know, because the children can never change the situation. While in our uh, societies, we are actually sucking up to a certain group of people Mm -hmm. and we are allowing them to say you are more superior than us. Even now, we see people going out to attack other black people because they've got a shop, but you'll never see a person lift up a finger 
uh, to a white man or an Indian person or anybody else. You go to town in Deben, where I stay, you don't find one shop that is written Kumalo. It's all Subramanis and all that. But you can never find a black man stand up to those kind of things. Instead of that, they stand up to a mere driver who is driving an Indian man's tractor. I mean, it's struck. Mm-hmm. You know, it tells you that black people, we've got that inferiority complex, and it's not the duty of white people to solve that. It's our duty. Sure, you know? but, 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 but in, in, in an environment um, that is quite controlled and quite managed, which is the environment of schools, how can we create a space where these schools are... are things, mm. Sorry, Katie, sorry to interject, but are, these are the things we should be going out to fight against because the, even the politics is not right. The politics is wrong, you know. <laughs> it's, it's lopsided. If it's going to support that black people should have self-determination, should have, uh, you know, the same capacity as a white person. That, that's why the previous, uh, 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 you know, speaker said there is FF plus that goes for each and every white person who meets a problem in the society. They go to court for it. But who is there for black people? Nobody. And uh, we are the majority and we can't set up such simple, uh, you know, uh, kind of things. This has to change, and it starts with us, mm. not with our children in the schools. Joe, you know? Joe, Joe, I, I hear, I hear completely what you're saying that we need to change um, society more holistically, and that will filter down even into what we're seeing in the schools. Let but in the interim, example, in, in the interim, we're still seeing. These, yeah. I- these issues play themselves out within the context of our schools. And I'm saying that are there ways that we can better equip schools currently in this moment? So while you are waiting for a formation that's going to help take these matters to court, as you've given the example, in the way that Afroforum does, in the meantime, what is it that we can progressively be doing? There are ways. I've got a son of mine who goes to a school, an Indian school, uh, you know, predominantly Indian school. But, uh, you know, he is told you are not supposed to comb your hair in a certain way. You know, but you, you go there, you find uh, the Indian boys, they've got their, their hair, you know, on the side. And they're carrying on like nothing is happening. You know, which tells you there are people who know that they've got power over others. They are better than others. And uh, no one tells them to stop that. You see, so I can't I look at my son and feel powerless. You know, mm. he's only 10. And I look at him and I say, I, I mean, this is the situation. Yeah, but I told him. No so, 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 so you don't do yeah. anything about it when he comes to you. You just, you know, you, you just leave it there. I know it's a waste of time. I'll do it, but I'll, I'll emerge as the bad one. You know, mm. the only person who seems to know what he's looking for, but the rest are okay with it, you know. Yeah. So, so it, it, that is the situation where we are in. The larger society has accepted it. And that's why you see a black man's life doesn't matter. You go to America, you die for nothing. You know, you, you go anywhere, if you're a black man, you just die. But in Africa, we are doing the same as well. Here in Africa, a black man does, does dies like a chicken. Mm, <laughs> so mm, so mm, you I, can't I just, do it to a white man. All right. Yes, yes. Roy, let me bring you in here. Yeah, I, I just want to support what, what's being said here because it's really nuanced and it's really, really important. And that is when we're thinking about exclusion, we always think that political exclusion or economic exclusion is the only sense of exclusion. But there's something much, much deeper and much more invisible and much more violent, and it's the psychological exclusion. That racism, sexism, homophobia are there to with the psychology of a person to make them believe that they're good, not good enough. 
And a big issue that a lot of the young black South Africans, particularly in formerly private white schools, are saying just that. And that mm. is, you are holding us to a standard of whiteness that I can never attain because I'm not white. And you are making me believe I've internalized my own badness, mm. that I am not good enough. So what's being said here is so important. So the, yes, you know, I, when you're asking me, teachers need to be thinking about how they have these conversations. I'm talking to the white teachers here, but there is another aspect that schools need to be looking at, and that how do we start supporting the psychology of marginalized identity learners, black people, queer people, women, and saying that everything about this school, everything about society is designed to make you believe that you are not good enough, and that is nonsense. But I think that there's this aspect, and I think this is a big thing against a lot of the schools. It's kind of like, you made me, you wanted me to be this white girl that I'm not, mm. and that has damaged me. And again, because we're not looking at our schools as racialized spaces, we think that this isn't happening, but it is. So I just want to support what this call is saying, and that is, we do need to be introducing the idea of black consciousness and, and, and feminism and, and, you know, kind of breaking heteronormativity within our schools because if you are on the other side of that identity, we are going to internalize our own badness and that messes with our own beliefs in who we are, our confidence to succeed, to love, to be loved. And that's the violence of racism, sexism from the world as well that we don't often talk about. Mm. Roy, let me thank you so much for coming on to the show. I think that is a perfect place to to end this conversation. Founder and MD of Cohesion Collective, I'm taking in everything Roy has said in the last two minutes. Incredibly powerful. All right, it's just after 11 o'clock and Musa is standing by with your latest news update.